My beautiful people, this is a special edition episode of the Grip Podcast featuring my dad, John Andrews. And although that is, and he is special, that's not the reason it's special. We are going to be doing a full season highlighting men who are either part of Circle Up, which is a men's mental health community striving to change the way that we talk, think, and feel about men's mental health, but also about men that really inspire me and that are great examples for us as men to live into and step into. And my dad is no exception. He is one of those men who is described as a man's man. He's kind and enthusiastic about life and so generous that he's the type of person you know always has your back and as a result you want to have his back and so uh, we're going to get into his career we're going to talk about his his leadership experience being a staff sergeant in the police force running a platoon of over 190 men the types of lessons he learned through that and as a father and how at 77 years old he is still extremely healthy and vibrant and energetic and really living his life's purpose. Dad, thank you for being on the show. I'm so happy we were able to do this. And to the listeners, I hope you enjoy this first of many special edition episodes of Gripped. Okay, here, here we go. Are you ready? This is it. We're going to get started. I'm going to ask you questions that I did not prep you for, so they will be spontaneous. They'll be rapid fire. They'll be off the dome. Hey, everybody. This is Gripped. Dad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. Welcome to you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, this is a long time coming. I know we made a video back in the summer last year, and I had a lot of fun doing that. But since we've now launched Circle Up, and we are doing some Circle Up special edition episodes, and you are one of the participants, I figured how fun would it be to have you as the first participant on the special edition Circle Up show. So I appreciate you joining us. Well, thank you very much for making me your number one. Although, I have to tell you, I've always felt that uh, I have five kids, but you are at the top of the list for taking time to spend with your dad. I'm not sure if that's because I like you so much or because you're so old. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I have the, the, least, uh, the least time of the bunch, but uh, I'll continue to, to do that and make it a priority. You know that. Here's where I'm going to start off. I reached out to some people in your life to see what they thought about John Andrews. And I'm going to start the show this way because the purpose of Circle Up is to become the man you've always wanted to be. And in so many ways, when I look at you, you embody the character of the man that I've always wanted to be. Uh, your discipline, your work ethic, your generosity, 
your enthusiasm and zest about life. And so I wanted to highlight, because I feel like, you know, I may be a little bit biased, highlight some of the other people in your life that would say nice things potentially about who you are as a man. And so I might do this a couple of times throughout the podcast, but the first one that I want to share is a good friend of both of ours, Pat Anderson. And before I share that, how do you know Pat? Well, Pat is a uh, former retired police officer from the York Region Police. And um, I met Pat a number of years ago, and we became very good friends with Pat and his wife and his daughter, Coral. And we visited back and forth. We did things together. We played golf. Um, we He has a, a beautiful summer place. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would go up there on the weekends and have a great time playing cards, uh, boat rides, and the odd little bit of sauce. <laughs> Just a bit. So yeah, that's a, it's a great intro. Shout out to Lisa Orton and Coral as well, if they're listening to the show. Uh, lots of super fun summer spent together. And this is what Pat said about you. And then I want to kick off the show about how we can start to think and be and show up in our lives a little bit more like the way that you're showing up as a man and have shown up as a man. This is what he said. Very seldom do you have a chance to cross paths and develop a friendship like with John Andrews. The kindest heart, soul, and integrity platform. A gentleman to be modeled after. John's kindness, vision, and friendship has made me a better person. His dedication towards helping others is unmatched. He will always be a dear friend. What do you think about that? Huh. I think that's wonderful. Those are very kind words from a, a gentleman who I feel the same way about, who is a giver, not a taker, and we enjoy each other's company so much. Yeah, I, I just echo, obviously, everything that Pat says, and I agree that it's definitely a two-way street for this relationship. He's so generous, and he's done so much for us, and he's helped us enjoy so many tremendous experiences and had so much fun together. I really did feel like it was appropriate to share that to start because I think about myself and I, I think about who am I as a man when nobody else is watching? And I think that's a question that a lot of men and a lot of people should be asking themselves is who am I? What decisions do I make? Um, do I follow through on what I said I'm going to do when nobody else is watching? And when I look at myself, I, you know, I gotta be honest, man, sometimes I'm a bit selfish and, I, you know, I, I, I want to look out for myself and I want to be comfortable and, and, and I do what's convenient. And I don't see that in you. Everyone's going to have their, their faults. But when I look at you, I genuinely see when nobody else is watching, John Andrews is a man who wants to do the right thing. He's a man who wants to be generous to others. He wants to give. And so I'm just wondering, Let's start there. Where do you, where does someone cultivate that from? And where did you begin to notice that you were the type of person that would do something like that? And why is that important to you? 
Well, Jonathan, I think that in the very beginning, it all stems from your parents. I had a, uh, a tremendous upbringing. I had one brother who was nine years older than me. And as a result, I would learn not only through my parents, but I would also learn through him. And then as I grew, um, it just seemed to follow me. The guys that I went to school with, sometimes they wouldn't do something unless I was involved. And because I was involved, I was an organizer. Um, and as a result of being an organizer, uh, everybody enjoyed themselves. It wasn't just slanted one way or another way. It was take a look at all of the people that are involved here and let's make it enjoyable for everybody. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting a few things from that. I'm getting that you, you really wanted to create a sense of community. Very much so. Am I right there? I think, yeah, I think that you are right. I think a sense of community is important. But at the same time, and I'm sure that throughout this podcast, we're going to get into um, what I did when I was older. And I think it will give you more information with regards to the type of person I am. Yeah. And just to share a brief anecdote for myself, like I'm just thinking, I know you're my dad, but for the people that are listening, this is the type of thing that John Andrews does to not just his son, but to virtually strangers and anybody in between. I have an issue and I leave something in Bradford as an example. Let's say it's an hour drive uh, and both ways it's going to be two hours. And it's not a hey, man, you, you messed up. Can't believe you left it at the house. Um, you know, pissed off, you know, steam coming out of yours. It's just like and almost this, this, this stoic acceptance and understanding that, of course, someone would mess up. And, you, you, you know, you pick up my laptop and you drive it all the way to, to Toronto and then you drive it all the way back. Um, and it's, there's no thought that needs to go into an act like that. And I've, that's a trivial example, but I, I can recall dozens and dozens of times that you've done something like that for me and the same for Tara or my sister, your daughter, um, and, and everybody else in your life. And so how does somebody go about making that decision to do what's not convenient necessarily in the moment for them, but it's the right thing to help the relationship or, or how do you think about those types of decisions? I think that probably most of the time I don't even think about it as something that I might have to do that would take me out of my way, that would take up time that I could be using. I always look at it as, you know, everybody, including myself, can screw up. But it's you don't want to look at it in a negative way. You want to be able to make it a negative experience and turn it into a positive. Yeah, who is who is someone that was an example of that for you? Well, I, I honestly believe, and I can share this with you, I think that uh, Pat Anderson was a person like that. Um, another person that was like that was uh, 
someone who I met not too long ago by the name of Bob Morgan, and then another person who I have known for 25 years. Uh, you know, Mike has uh, always been a mainstay. Uh, and, you know, Mike Marone was, I think, in a lot of cases, a similar person to myself. Okay. I want to get into helping and asking for help a little bit further into the show, where I think would be a great place to, to roll into from here is a little bit about your career. Because for a lot of people that are listening, the only context they really have about you is that you're a good guy and you're my dad. And I just look at your career and I just see what a phenomenal leader and communicator and community organizer that you must have had to have been in order to have such a success that you had in your career. And so to, to fill people in really briefly, if you were to give the 30 second pitch of, you know, you made the decision that you wanted to be a police officer and you joined the military police all the way to you retired from that career, what happened in between there? Well, I think that something that people should know was that I was in the beginning, I wanted to be an RCMP officer. The problem was I was right at the cusp of 18, not quite 19, and the RCMP were looking at what used to be their entry level at age 18 to changing it. And as a result of that, and because I couldn't get a satisfactory answer from them, over a period of about seven months, hmm. I don't know that I could use the term pissed off, but at that point, I decided that, well, you know what? I don't want to be a cadet with the Metropolitan Toronto Police. I want to be a policeman. I want to learn about policing. So that's when I went to the, what at that time was called 6PD depot up at Sunnybrook Hospital. And I walked in there on a Wednesday. And I said, I want to be a military policeman. And they responded with, we can do that. So I took all my medicals and my, my physicals and everything else. And by Friday, I was called and they said, you're in, come up and get sworn in. That's how it all got started. And then it was a great career with the police department. But I knew when I joined there with the military, that it was going to be a three-year career and that I would be 21 and I would be able to come back to Toronto and I didn't feel because of the discipline that I received through the military police and the education that I received through them, I would have no problem becoming a Metro Toronto policeman. And that's how it went. So in the 9th of February, 1965, I became a Metro Toronto policeman. Hmm. You could have had a pretty different path. Last time, uh, you know, I remember having this conversation. There was there was talks happening behind closed doors, if I remember correctly, about the potential for you to continue on in the military. Is that correct? And then what yes, that would have looked like? What would yeah, that have looked like? Because I probably wouldn't be here if you made that decision. Well, I, I don't think you would be. I think that... Uh, the decision for me was to go to a foreign country and be a military policeman there. But that didn't come out until after I had already made the decision that I was going to leave the military. 
And it came out at that time through my commanding officer. Hmm. He said, I couldn't tell you because that might have changed your decision making. Hmm. And I said, well, you know what? I don't think it would have because I made the decision to become something that I wanted since I was probably 12 years old. Hallelujah. Yeah. Can we get an amen over here? <laughs> amen. So you, 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 you turned 21, you went through your military policing career, you joined the Metro Toronto Police Force, and then you were a police officer for what, three decades? Yeah, I was. You know, three decades of, uh, it was great. And during the period of time that I was there, I started out as a regular police constable on the beat. I remember my first assignment was to 52 Division, which is downtown Toronto. Uh, at that point in time, 52 Division was at college and university. And my first assignment was a night shift, and I was assigned to walk Spadina from college to King Street, only on the one side, because on the other side was 14 Division, and that was my first assignment. And, you know, by 2 o'clock in the morning back then, you could have shot a cannon down the street. There was just nothing happening. They were putting you to the test early. Yeah, that's for sure. So you, you had this first assignment, spent 30 years. Can you give us two or three of kind of the major highlights, whether they were, you know, positions of, um, you know, promotions that you, you walked into to show kind of the, the breadth of experience you had, or maybe they were specific moments in your career that just really stand out as, hey, you know what, I'm really doing and living my dream here. Well, I can tell you a couple of things. Um, I was assigned... In 1997, to a partner, and we were assigned the position of patrolling Yorkville. Now, Yorkville is a beautiful place today. There's lots of activities, big stores, big hotels, the whole works. It wasn't like that back then. Yorkville was an area where a lot of druggies, a lot of bikers, even prostitutes, they hung out there. So Dennis and I, who was my partner, we were assigned a paddy wagon as our patrol vehicle. And we would work from seven at night until three in the morning. Now, here's an incident that occurred. Like one of the things that's so important if you have a partner or anybody else, you need to communicate with each other. You need to tell each other what's going on. And so back then, we would get in there maybe a half an hour, three quarters of an hour before our shift started, and we would go over reports, we'd go over the wanted list, we'd go over the stolen car list, because oftentimes, they ended up in New Yorkville area. Hmm. Anyway, this particular Monday night, we had gone on patrol, we'd been on foot, and we decided, because it was really slow, we'd go up to a place called Webster's Restaurant. It was on Avenue Road, just south of Davenport, on the east side of the street. And it was a local hangout for bikers and prostitutes and drug dealers. 
And we thought we'd go up there and see what's going on. We got there and he went in the back door and I went in the front door and wasn't in there a few minutes and I spotted somebody sitting at a booth who I knew we had a warrant for. So that was good. We went over, approached that person, said, uh, what's your name? He gave us the right name. I said, you're going to have to come with us because I have a warrant for your arrest. He said, okay. So he got up and my partner took a hold of one arm. I took a hold of the other arm. And we walked this young man out the front door. Well, it just so happened that where we parked the paddy wagon, there was a lamppost right at the corner where we would open the door to put him in the back. So unfortunately, we didn't communicate properly. He let go and I let go. And the guy we'd arrested took off up the street. So now we just sit there looking at each other laughing because communication is so important. But we were fortunate, and I say that in all good sense of the word. There was a plainclothes car coming south on Avenue Road who pretty well witnessed this whole thing taking place. And when this guy ran across Avenue Road onto Bernard Street, they took off after him in their car. Now, there's cars poked on both sides of the street. There's very little room. So as the driver of the car got up beside him, he just opened the door enough just to give him a little bump. Uh, he fell on the ground. The car went by. We were right on his butt right then and there. But that was so important that we needed to communicate to one another what each one of us was doing. It sounds like a scene right out of a movie. <laughs> you're, well, you, it could have been. been. You, lose, you lose the guy, both of you let go, and then there's another cop car that pops the door open and the guy's rolling over it. I'm, gl I'm well, glad you got him. Yes. And it was a warrant for his arrest. It wasn't a case that we were arresting him for something that he had committed there. It yeah. was something committed before. Okay. So I'm definitely hearing you say that communication is important. In retrospect, if you were to look back uh, from that experience, did you, you take anything specific away from how you dealt with your partner moving on from there? Because you probably do all sorts of debriefs in, yeah. in the, the police force, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, you're always doing one whenever incident takes place, whether it's with yourself or with a sergeant when you take the body in or with a detective or whatever it might be. But, you know, I think about circumstances of communications, and one of the incidents I'd like to point out why it's so important to be able to communicate is that when I was a staff sergeant at 54 Division, sergeants were responsible for evaluating all your personnel on your platoon. Mm -hmm. So I received this information on the evaluation about a certain person, I'll just say his first name was Mike. And it wasn't a very good evaluation. Yet I had met the man, I talked with him, he was on my platoon, I paraded him for duty, all of those things. And the evaluation just didn't sit right with me that he was the kind of person that the sergeant was saying. So I had the sergeant in first. And we sat down. And in listening to what the sergeant had to say, he communicated to me that he really didn't like the guy. For whatever reason, he never said, but he really didn't like the guy. 
So his marks were not what they really should have been. So at that point, I had the officer come in to the office and we sat down and we talked about the evaluation and the situation. And he was very disgruntled, not just at this sergeant, but all of the activity that he was doing, he was never getting rewarded for. So at that point, I asked Mike, I said, Mike, what would you think about coming off the street, coming into the station and work as a station duty operator with me? And he said, I'd enjoy that. That'd be great. So he did. And so when he came in and started working with me at the station, I had plenty of ample opportunity to be able to sit down with him, talk with him over a coffee, and learn more about the individual. And I spoke to him on several occasions with his, because he had the time in, because I thought that he was a very smart individual, he should be looking at writing his promotional exams to become a sergeant. And his thoughts were simply that he didn't think he would be able to make it because of other people, not himself. And I said, well, I think that you've got all the aptitude. I think you can do it. And I'd like to see you sit down and write the exam, which he did. He took my area of what I called expertise to tell him that he's more than what he thought he was. And he wrote the exam. And a year to a year and a half later, he was promoted to sergeant. And we've never, ever thought any more about that. It was a great opportunity for him. So communications with him and I, and the fact that I actually sat down and communicated with the sergeant initially, changed the whole perspective on the evaluation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just, I'm seeing so many themes inside of these stories you're telling, which I really appreciate you sharing, by the way. Um, I think it adds a lot of color and context to what your career looked like and the type of person that you were being for these people. Um, and I want to connect it to, I mentioned right at the beginning, for those that are still listening, I mentioned Circle Up and this being a special edition project for uh, Circle Up. And Circle Up is, it's a men's mental health community project dedicated to changing the way that we talk and we feel and we look at mental health conversations. And one of the big pieces that makes it work is when men, they care. And when they give a damn, and when they're paying attention to the other men in their lives, right? I talked a little bit earlier about being, being selfish as a default and seeing you as being very generous as a default. What we're trying to do is to create a space where men can actually be there for other men. And what I'm seeing here and the, the connection that I'm trying to make is that, you know, you could have seen an evaluation and you could have said, oh, you know, it's too bad this, this guy's not performing. You know, maybe he just doesn't have what it takes. Maybe he's not cut out for it. Um, and, but instead, you decided to try to read between the lines, pay attention, look a little bit deeper. You talked about knowing what this man was like in the past. And then you actually gave a damn to the point where you connected with the supervisor, asked him to break it down. And then you connected with the man and asked him to break down his side. And you really listened and cared. And so I just I think it's a shining example of the power that we have to influence the direction of someone's life. And that's what we're doing inside Circle Up. 
every man has a buddy and every man has an opportunity to help them see that they're bigger than what they see themselves as and possibilities that they didn't see for themselves. So I really feel like you communicated to this man that he had more possibilities than he thought he did. I think you're absolutely right, Jonathan. And thank you for putting it that way because you put it very eloquently. But I do believe that in Circle Up, each member of the team has an opportunity to offer something to somebody else on that team. And then I'll take it further. I'll say that it doesn't have to be a team member. It can be someone that they know personally, someone who's not a member of Circle Up, that they can take that information and help them as well. Yeah. I feel like I'm sure there was other situations in your career where you stepped up for a man like that um, or a person like that. Did anyone ever do anything like that for you, whether it's just open a door of opportunity, put you on, really go the extra mile to encourage you or to build belief inside you that you can think of? I know it's off the top. I didn't, we didn't prep for any of this. Well, I can tell you that there was one man who is, he's passed away now. He was a deputy chief. And one of the things that happened with respect to him is that I became a community service officer because he saw in me that I could relate to the community, that I could help people in the community. And so as a police constable, I was a community service officer. And then when I got promoted to sergeant, I was taken out of community services and sent to a division. The best part was, is I wasn't there very long, maybe a year, a year and a half. And he brought me back into the fold and I became a sergeant within community services. And as a sergeant within community services, I was responsible for five district and I was responsible for the personnel who worked in the field of drug and safety education, who worked in the field of community relations, crime prevention and ethnic relations. And I worked predominantly with people in the field. And one of the big jobs that I had was I worked with the mayor's committees. So had it not been for him, I probably wouldn't have been brought back in to that fold, except he recognized that this was a place where I should be. Yeah. So again, I'm seeing that theme of paying attention and really, and really acknowledging your strengths because it's, we would be shallow to think that we wouldn't have any weakness. I know I have tons of weaknesses. And so I'm, I'm just thinking he, he must have recognized that of all the things that you could have been doing, you know, here's one of John's strengths. Let's put him in an area where he'll really thrive and be able to make a contribution. Well, I'll tell you, the thing that happened next, Jonathan, when as the district sergeant in five district, uh, I was promoted again to staff sergeant. And I was sent out again to... I went to uh, 54 division. And then it wasn't very long later, I was brought back into headquarters as the staff sergeant coordinating 
community services for all of Metro Toronto. Wow. How many folks would be on, I don't know how they would describe this, your platoon, your team, how, what, what's the language they use? Well, back then, there was, as I said to you, there was the different teams. There was drug and safety education, community service officers in every division, crime prevention officers in every division, and ethnic relations officers at headquarters. So that was a total of about 126 personnel. Wow, that's massive. Yeah. Um, hey, well, I appreciate you being the type of man who's open to, to, to leading because that's, you know, really inspired me through my life to do the different uh, projects that I'm taking on. I want to talk about leadership because we're, I'm hearing some themes that connect really well to leadership, like community, uh, sorry, like, um, like communication, a lot about communication skills, a lot of, and that includes both the ability to influence and persuade with what you're saying, but also the ability to listen, which I'm really picking up from you big time. Um, the other thing that I'm seeing is the ability to relate and build trust in people. Can you talk to us about what you think are some of the biggest and most important areas of leadership and, and how you thought about leadership at that point in your career? Well, I'm going to take you right back to the very beginning of my career as a fledgling, a new police officer. And there I was assigned to the police college, which happened to be run by Metro Toronto. And it was on Greenfield Avenue up in North York. Anyway, what brings me to be the kind of person I am in that respect was there was the sergeant who is responsible for communications. Not the communications that you think of where the communications office is telling a car to go here, go there, a person. Just the way that you should look at things. And so the first lesson that I remember, and it stuck with me my whole life, was that Bertzall said, gentlemen, Think about yourself as a policeman. Think about the kind of policeman you want to be. And he said, take this piece of false cap, and everybody had one, and he said, draw a line down the center. And he said, look at all the people that you know, not just police personnel, but at that time we referred to people as civilian personnel, he said, look at all of them. And he said, on the right side of the page, I want you to put down everything you didn't like about that individual and how they communicated with people. And on the left side, put down all those people and everything that they did that was good. And then he said, tear the paper in half. He said, throw all those away that you don't want to be like and be like the ones that you want to be like. And that was the first really good lesson that I got in communications and understanding people. Can you give one of the, you know, the, the one or two big ones that stood out and then you continue to practice and develop and 
work into your career? Yeah, I think that I can. So most of all, we were referring to police personnel. That was the largest group of people that I had on the left side. And I had sergeants in there that I liked the way that they communicated with us. I liked the way they gave direction and I liked their leadership. I had chiefs of police in there. There were some over the period of time before I became a police officer that I knew about and they were in there. And I knew that I wanted to be able to perform like those people did. And so those were perfectly good reasons to want to become the best I could at what I was doing. Yeah, if someone's sitting at home and they're, they're thinking to themselves, you know, that's a great idea, I should take a, make a list of the things that when I think about leadership or I think about communication, you know, on, on the left side, these are all the things that I really love about some people in my life who communicate well and on the right, things that I, I don't like. Um, that's a, that's a, um, an activity you suggest would be a good tool to use. Okay, so let's say they do that. Let's say they do that. Um, how do they begin to implement in a strategic, thoughtful way those areas of, that they wanna focus on? How did, you, how did you do that practically from a tactics perspective? I think that um, from my perspective, one of the things that I stood by was the fact that I wanted to be the kind of police constable, those people that I had met that were good at what they do. I wanted to be the sergeant that could work well with his personnel on the road because as a road sergeant, you did visits, you visited all your personnel. And you had to provide what I like to think of as a good vibe. They're yeah. doing a job out there, and you want to make sure that they're enjoying it, plus doing it to the best of their ability. And the same thing applies to a civilian. If you've got a supervisor that does a really good job at helping you with your work ethic, and shows you, is not afraid to show you certain things that will get you further advanced, and that's the guy you want to be like. And then you work hard to be able to get further advanced. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm seeing this being very relatable for people. Like I'm a, I'm a salesperson and a speaker. And so kind of, you know, to use your example, these constables and civilians and sergeants, they could be for me, they could be like my clients and they could be my manager at work and they could be, you know, the other people at work that I have to connect with on a daily basis. And so I have to think about, you know, who do I have to be and how do I have to show up and how do I communicate in a way that works for them and builds the strongest possible ties and trust so that we can work collaboratively together. Does that sound like the type of approach that you took in your, in, in your uh, career? Yes, I, I do believe that that sounds very much like it, Jonathan. It is the type of thing that I would do, but I know you, and I know the kind of person you are, and I know what you do, not only to work with the people you're with, but 
how much you put into reading, wanting to be a leader, wanting to be the kind of person that everybody will look to you and say, hey, I want to be like Jonathan Andrews. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's very kind of you, Dad. <laughs> I'm not sure if they would all say that, but uh, definitely an ideal for sure, something to strive towards. Um, when I say me, I'm thinking of like the me as a mirror of the audience, right? The, the people who are going to be listening, trying to take um, something away from this. So I'm hearing a ton of really valuable insight into how to be a strong communicator, uh, how to care about other people, how to develop trust. Um, one of the things I think that I kind of want to round this interview off is you're, how old are you for the people that have no idea who you are? I am 77 years old, soon to be 78. Born in 1942. Correct. Why and how do you look so damn good? <laughs> you really want to know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to tell you this because I think it's important. It's important to be able to understand communication and to be able to listen. Listen to what's being said. It was four and a half years ago that a young man, oh, I must tell you that four and a half years ago, I weighed 240 pounds. And I wasn't eating properly. I was eating so much snack food that I, I looked like a big cantaloupe. I was... <laughs> Really, I was just huge all over, okay? And then this young man, who I know so well, said to me, um, if I can say this word, Dad, you eat crap. And he turned me around at that point. He showed me the kind of foods that I should be eating, the kinds of exercises that I should be doing. And I got to a point where I was actually walking every day of the week, and I could walk between one and 12 kilometers a day. So that helped. And then he said, you need to go back to the gym and start building your muscle back up, becoming strong, and be the kind of person that you once were and get there again because the only way you're going to have longevity, like your father, and I said, you mean like grandpa? And he said, yeah. My, my father lived to 102 years of age. And I got to tell you, everybody that said to Art, how did you do it? How did you live to 102? And his pat answer was, I had a good wife and rum and coke. All right. We're not advocating for rum and coke on this podcast. <laughs> Hey, I'm, I'm super happy that it, it worked for, uh, for grandpa and it was great to have him around for so damn long. Um, I miss that guy. So what I'm hearing from you is you made some lifestyle changes. Yes, I did. And, I made some so lifestyle I, uh, Sorry, go ahead. I still, I just said, yes, I made some lifestyle changes because I had to. Yeah. I also want yeah, sorry, or else I would be looking at an early demise, and I don't plan on that. 
Yeah, what I wanted to do is also acknowledge and and recognize Tara for her example as well. It took her a few years to jump on the uh, the healthy lifestyle bandwagon, but when she did, she fully committed to both exercise and nutrition. I'm not sure the exact weight totals, but I know that she's lost over 50 pounds. And so, you know, I'm happy to have been part of the catalyst for you. You were definitely part of the catalyst for her. And then what the reason why the reckon, uh, I want to recognize her is because since I moved away from the house and I don't live with you guys anymore, it's very easy for you to fall into patterns of old ways of being. And I bet a lot of people on the show can re- uh, relate to that of, you know, you're trying to be healthy and then stopping or not being able to maintain that discipline around their health. And so Tara has been a fantastic example for you to continue to eat healthy, to get in the gym, to eat the right food. So Tara um, has made just as much, if not more of a contribution to investing in you being healthy as I have. And so what I, what I want to do is a recognize her. So Tara, you know, first of all, you look beautiful and amazing and so strong. And I know you kick my ass. Um, and dad, you look so strong and I know you'd kick my ass. How, how are you, how are you two doing it? For those people that are listening that want to think about, you know, making some adjustments in their health right now, especially in the world, it's a very stressful time. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty with what's happening with the COVID virus. For those of you that are listening to this in the future, this is March of 2020 and uh, COVID has been multiplying in the cases and deaths. And, and it's so important to keep a physical health and a mental health to make sure your immune system's high. Tell me, what are some of the, you know, the one, two, three non-negotiables for you when it comes to your health? I'm hearing that walking and fitness is a big, big one. Do you want to elaborate on that and give us a couple other ones for people to try on? Well, I think that uh, predominantly uh, we've designed a gym in the basement of the house so that we can actually keep up our physical activities to be able to maintain that strength and the feeling of feeling good, if that's the way to say it. You know, you feel good about yourself, you project that at the same time. Now, I understand what you're saying about Tara. Tara has been an incredible influence the same as you were, she has lately taken to cooking, and her cooking is just incredible. She's cooking healthy, wonderful meals. And Tara has met a very nice young man by the name of John. A lot of John's in their family, and John is a fireman, and he also is an excellent cook. And it's great to see the two of them whipping up a meal in the the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that are important that you need to be able to maintain. And your mom and I, we are going for anywhere between one and two kilometers a walk in the afternoon in a park very close to where we live. And I know the pandemic is upset a lot of people and a lot of things. But we're fortunate at this part that there are very few people that even attend because of where it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for those that are listening that want to introduce more healthy lifestyle, it's not too late, first of all. You know, you're 77, about to turn 78 years old. Uh, You look phenomenal 
how do you feel? I feel great, Jonathan. Um, I have been told I actually just had a complete physical by my doctor. And he said to me, he said, I've never seen another 77-year-old in as good a condition as you are. So you should be super proud of the hard work that you've put in. Uh, you should be really proud of having habits that serve you, that are healthy. And you should also be very conscious of the example that you're being for other people in your life. And I want you to know that you make a big difference. Um, I, we're going to round off the show really quickly, really briefly. Um, I have some really nice things that a lot of people said about you. Tara wrote an incredible quote that I'm going to share with you. Les Nip from uh, your business. Um, I got, you know, Rob Salmon, Bob Morgan, Ryan Pink, Pat Anderson. They all, they all shared and expressed how much of an impact that you've made on their lives. And as we close off the show, I want to just share one last thing because you've always been such a great example for me and for the rest of the family. I know, you know, our brothers, Adam, Jeremy, Josh, and Tara, not our brother, <laughs> um, but Tara, uh, part of the men's work that I've been doing, part of the mental health initiatives that I've been taking on over the last few years, a lot of it has been inspired by life experience. Um, and part of the men's work that I've captured is this awesome list called the code of honor. And it goes through these, these creed, this creed of how to be a man, right? And it's very simple to follow and you know, when you're not doing it, you know, when you're doing it, the first one's commitment before ego. And it goes through this, this, this full list of 15. The last one is the one that I want you to touch on as we finish off this podcast. Just what are your thoughts about this? Where do you go to first and foremost? Because the last tenant of the code is be an example for children. And you are such a great example of how to live your life, how to be a family man, how to, how to be generous, how to have strong work ethic, how to take care of yourself, how to take care of your family. And so where does your mind go when you, when you, when you hear that be an example for children? And what kind of legacy do you want to leave? And what kind of example do you want to leave people with? Well, one of the things that when you say be an example for children takes me back to when I was a young man on the police department and myself and my cousin, Robert Shenzi, we coached hockey together. And we had, in fact, it all started with a learn to skate program for young people. And you know, we're talking four, five, six years of age. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we took our coaching skills and our abilities to another age group and spent almost 30 years coaching hockey for young people, both male and female. And I think that, you know, to finish off, to be able to say that 
I would like to be an example that other people would look at and want to be as well. One last question for you. That example that you're being is so clear to me, but for the people that don't know you, if there was one character trait that you embody or try to embody and really want to see more of in the world, what would that, that trait be? Well, I think that that trait would be listening and listen to the people that you're talking with, that you're dealing with, that you're socializing with. Just listen to see if you could be a benefit to help them. It always comes back to that benefit of other people. Do what you can to contribute. I really appreciate you contributing to our listeners. I appreciate the stories. I'm getting so much color about your career and your life that I hadn't seen before. So if you have any more stories you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show again. Thank you so much, Dad, for being here. Um, I love you so much. Uh, for those of the quotes that I didn't get to read out, I'm going to send them to you so you could see them and just know that here's where I want to leave off the same way that you did for, um, that young man, Mike, if that's really his name, when he, when he wanted to, when he didn't know if he wanted to be a staff sergeant. As a 77 year old, I, I mentioned you being such a great example for other people. I still think that your biggest growth and your most fun adventures and the biggest contribution that you have to give the world is still ahead of you. I really see that. I really I see that. And I, that's why. Oops, sorry, we're over talking one another. I just want to thank you because I feel the same way you do. And I don't know what that looks like, but I'm going to challenge you to start painting a picture for yourself and a vision for yourself of what that next step's going to look like, what that next horizon is, what's that next battlefield you're going to plant your flag and get all in um, and get excited about. So. I know it was fitness and health for a long time. I'm excited to see what it is next. Any last words you want to say before we close off the show? Well, I think the only thing that I want to say is that I am grateful to have the family that I have, all of my kids. As you already said, Jeremy, Joshua, Adam, yourself, Tara. You've all been so great and you've all done so well that I couldn't be prouder. Love you, man. Thanks for being on the show.